I'm really pleased that our speaker today um, is Ben Martin. Ben is uh, a member of this congregation, and he is, uh, he's actually, a, he, his day job is to be a surgeon, a pediatric surgeon, so in the children's hospital, uh, and he's a very busy man. But he also, amazingly, serves on our youth team, and he helps with all sorts of stuff across church. And I can't think of a better person to be speaking about getting involved in service tonight for, um, for Ben. So in a moment, it'd be great if you could welcome him. But before he comes to speak, Eloise is going to come and give our reading, which is from 1 Corinthians 12. So if you want to b- grab a Bible, grab a phone, uh, read it. 1 Corinthians 12, and Eloise is going to do our reading. One body and many parts. The body is a unit, though it made up of many parts. And though it all parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. It would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable, our presentable parts, need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers... Every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Guys, can we give Ben a big welcome? Okay. Um, hey, everyone. Thank you for having me. For those of you that are up there online, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Um, Toby sent me a message just before Christmas and asked me to be involved in some speaking. And I was um, pretty scared at the time. It made me remember, going back to my GCSEs, I remember doing English coursework and having to present in a room in McCarthy Block in front of a guy called Mr. Fox and the rest of my class. I remember standing there at the front with a sheet of paper quaking in my boots with a little 15-year-old voice that went up like that when I was trying to speak. Um, And here we are. Um, I'm now doing it again. Normally, my talking looks like teaching or something like that at work. And the times when I'm normally doing big presentations are at medical conferences. Um, And when you're doing that, there's a thing that you have to do at the start of a talk in case you've been given a grant or some funding from a different body and you have to talk about your disclosures. 
So I've got some disclosures for you before we start, and we'll just pop them up on the screen. The first is that I have no theological qualifications. The second is that I can speak neither Greek nor Hebrew. The third is that I am much more comfortable talking to a child or a young person than I am to any of you that are here. And then finally is that I am just another member of our church. And I hope that by the end of today, you will feel confident in yourself knowing that being just another member of our church is more than enough. I hope that you will feel secure in your role as someone that was gifted with the exact skills that you need to do your life and to play your role both in church here and in society. So I just want to tell you a little about me as we start. I became a Christian just before I went away to university as an 18-year-old and life has looked different since then. I hope that my look, life looks different as a consequence of that change that happened. Um, and then there's a little verse in Romans that talks about offering our lives as a living sacrifice in response to Jesus' life. I'm still trying to do that daily. Um, and whether that is through my time here helping with young people or whether that's through work. Um, but that is what I feel called to do. And as a little recap, um, we've been told that we're in a series called Distinct. Um, Toby kicked us off a few weeks ago, and he was talking how, about how God is not only good, but he is completely off the charts. Then Victoria went on to talk about how God calls for radical justice, and she called us all to be a part of that. Matt then thought about how we can be distinct in the way that we do our relationships. Last week... Dave explored how Jesus was completely distinctive in his holiness. And now here we are thinking about how we can be distinct in how we use our talents and how we serve. And so this week is called Distinctly Possible. My agenda. My goal for today is just to walk you through four little sections of the New Testament that have had an impact on me as, an, as a person and impacted the way that I live. They challenge me to live a life of service. And in the world that we live in, that can be really countercultural, and it can stand out. The verses challenge me to use the skills and talents that I've been given, both in the church and in the world. I hope I can tell you a couple of stories that give you something to pin today on so that you can remember the things that we've talked about. And the main thing is that I want to leave each of you here today either encouraged or challenged um, to do the same. So let's have a think about using our talents. I want to tell you about one of my friends. She's called Steph. We'll pop a picture of Steph up on the screen. She's in the top right. Um, Steph is wonderful. We've been friends since we were doing youth work um, back at university many, many, many years ago. Um, she now lives in Vancouver with her family. So on the right is a guy called Harry. He's her husband. And she's got a couple kiddos, one's called Darcy and one's called Jessie. Steph, to me, is distinctive because she treads this beautiful line between being hugely self-assured, she's ruthlessly competitive, and yet she's wonderfully humble and she's fiercely loving. Steph stands out to me as someone that's distinct. I want you in your seats now just to have a little think about someone in your life that stands out and is distinctive. 
for something that's good. That can be whether it's in your school, in your university, from your sports team, in your job. So take a moment, just have a think about someone to you that stands out as being distinct. And stick with that first person that stood out to you and think about why they stood out. And I would hope that for most of you, the reason that someone stands out is that they were being who they were made to be. That makes us stand out. And I want to encourage all of you to try and do the same. Um, I've had two very different roles at different times in my life. Um, when I was at university, like many of you, I was supposed to be studying hard. Um, I actually spent a lot of the time training with our rugby team. Um, I played as a flanker. Um, for those of you that don't know, the flanker's usually just the one that's quite muddy at the end of the pitch, and you might not have seen what they do. Um, some of my best games, I might have never touched the ball, and no one might have seen what I've done on the pitch. And yet, that was me doing my role. That was me doing my bit to mean that the team, which for the rugby team, that's the body, was able to do what it needed to. We fought together towards a common goal of performing well, and we were aiming to score more points than the opponents. My role in that team, in that body, was that little bit, rolling around on the floor, stealing the ball, and making those tackles. Being at university, I was known for three things. And I was really deliberate with how I did those three things and deliberate with how I used my time. I was there to study. I was there to be a part of church. And I was there to play rugby. And I'd love to challenge those of you that are here this evening as students to think about how you use your time when you're here as a student. You're in this wonderful position where you've got the most control over your time that you'll probably ever have in the rest of your life. And being able to be really deliberate with how you use that freedom is a real privilege, um, but means you can do amazing things. After this morning, a lady called Nay, who was running the service, shared a little picture that many of you will have heard before, the idea of having a jar and thinking about what you fill it with. If you're filling that jar with really small things like sand, it'll fill up really quickly. And then there's no space for the big things in life. And the big things we might be talking about is what we do for our job, how we spend time with our family, or how we serve in the church. Um, and that analogy says that we should be actually aiming to try and fill our jars, fill our lives with the big things first. So aim to put those big pebbles in, your church, your family, your job. And then once you've filled it with those big things, once you've made those deliberate decisions at the start, you've got plenty of time and plenty of space to put those little bits of sand in. And even once the sand is in there, there's still even more space for liquids to get in at the end. So to me, that was a really useful analogy to think about us now making deliberate decisions about how we use our time. Um, I've now got a very different role. So we talked about me being a student, and we now think about what I do in my day-to-day -day job. I work at the children's hospital, like Toby said, as a surgeon. And it's been a long, old journey to get there. Um, I've been working as a doctor for 11 years now, and I'm still training. Um, I haven't quite made it. Um, the team I work in looks after little babies that have been born with congenital anomalies and then kids from the whole of the Southwest that need operations usually on their tummies. Um, I feel very lucky to be built in a way that lets me work hard, remember things most of the time, 
and also to do delicate, delicate operations on these tiny babies. I also see on a daily basis that we as a team of healthcare professionals wouldn't be able to make kids better by doing what we do unless every member of the team that I get to work on, every cog in that machine, every part of that body was able to play their part. So I want to flick back to that bit that Eloise shared with us about one Corinthians. So there's a picture of a person. And she read a big old chunk, and I just want to focus on one little bit in the middle that I'll read again. And for those of you that are following on your phones, um, this is 1 Corinthians 12, and it's verses 12 to 27. So now the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. So if there's one sentence I want you to take from this passage in Corinthians, it's that bit in the middle there. But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. You are all a part of that body, and you are placed there really deliberately. Um, can we flick up to the picture from theater? Um, I want to show you a picture of a guy called Thomas Starzl. Um, He's there standing in the middle. He's the person that first managed to successfully do what's called a liver transplant. This means taking the liver from someone that's either died or someone that's got a big liver and they've got space for a little bit to be taken and given to a kid. They take that section and then you join four important little tubes together in a way that they're not going to leak. And you have to try and do all of that before the liver kind of gets too warm and degrades. The putting in part of that operation takes about five hours. It needs quite a few experts for it to happen. And when you look at that picture, you can see that this guy, who's the surgeon, Thomas Starzl, is standing front and center. So when we read that bit from Corinthians and it talked about those presentable parts, he's there front and center. And yet, if you look over your shoulder, you can see so many different people that had to be involved for that to work whether it's the person that made sure the kit was clean, whether it's the person that's passing them all the instruments, whether it's the person that's keeping them asleep while they're doing all their stitching. That team has to work together for the end result to happen. When I was working on the team that did this, I felt very lucky to be a part of a high-performance team. I played my own little role back then, which might have just been holding a retractor, which is like a little angle thing that pull some muscles out of the way and you stand still for a few hours. It might have been that all I was doing was using a little sac sucker to vacuum up some of the blood, but I could so clearly see that if any part of the team that was looking after these kiddos wasn't able to do their part, if anyone before or during or after that operation wasn't doing their part in that team, then the kid would end up suffering and would stumble. To me, the body of Christ passage talks about using the skills and talents that you've been given to perform the role that you've been given. 
It talks about being fulfilled in the role that you have. It also talks about appreciating the synergy that happens when all of those parts of the body come together. I want to think about another team as well that fits with a different part of my life. We're going to look at a team of rugby players. This is the team called the All Blacks. They are the New Zealand national rugby team. Um, they are, in my eyes, the best rugby team in the whole world. And the one thing that stands out to me is the way that they play as a team. Loads of professional sport is all about being the best. If any of you watched the World Cup just before Christmas, you would have heard about the arguments about who is the GOAT, who is the greatest of all time. And sport and lots of the media is about being self-promoting and wanting to be hugely competitive. They want to be the hero. They want everyone else to know how good they are. And yet, the way that the All Blacks play, the team values that they've made and cultivated over the last few years, and they keep going as their team grows and evolves, is that no individual is greater than the team. They don't celebrate individual brilliance. They celebrate team performance. And that reminds me of one of Jesus' stories. So we're going to flip to a different bit of the Bible, phones, screens, whatever it is. We're going to have a look at Luke chapter 14, and that's verses 8 to 11. So this is Jesus talking about a wedding feast. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, don't take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be, will be exalted. Each player in that All Blacks team is happy to take the lowest place. They're happy to be whichever part of the body they were made to be. They are happy to play their role. To me, I take this as a challenge and as a reminder to be happy doing the tasks that my abilities allow me to do and to be fulfilled, knowing that I'm doing my part for the body. I hope you can take that same little message from that message about the feast. And then let's think about a different organization. Can we look at this slide from Christians in Sport? Um, back when I was able to run fast and actually catch a rugby ball, I was also involved in a group called Christians in Sport. For any of you that are here that play sport, especially if you're here at university, if you've never heard of this group, have a look on the website. They are awesome. They've got a visit, vision, which is to pray for your teammates, to play in a way that honors God, and to say something of the gospel to your teammates in that process. They're awesome. Um, and to me, there's a big thing that stands out from their teaching when I was um, a part of this Christians in Sport group as a student, and that comes from another bit in Matthew. So again, grab your Bibles. We're going to flick to Matthew 28. And this is Jesus talking to loads of people in something called the Great Commission. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I want to highlight the bits that I want you to take from this again. And so the two little phrases I want you to remember from this bit of the Great Commission is that Jesus says to go and make disciples. So this was not just about telling them a message and then expecting them to remember this. This was really investing in the people that were around you. And he's saying to do this to all nations. He's not just saying to do it to this tiny little group here. He's not saying to just do it to the Jewish people. He's not saying just to do it to the rich people that live in one particular part of town. He's saying to do it to all nations. And what that means for me, and I hope what it means you can take from it, is that that means that wherever you are, whatever sport it is that you do, whatever job role you have, wherever you spend your time, that counts as all nations. And that is where Jesus is calling you to be. On one hand, that phrase, all nations, might sound like an insurmountable challenge. How can I, how can we manage to reach all nations? On the other hand, I would hope that you can take it as a huge encouragement that wherever you are, that's where Jesus has called you to be. When I was playing rugby, all nations meant my rugby team. Now that I spend most of my time at the hospital, all nations is the people that I work with and the children I look after. For you, all nations means wherever you are. Um, we're going to flip to the next one, which is Matthew 10. So again, grab your Bibles, Matthew 10, verses 29 to 31. This is only a small little bit. But the last little message I want to give you comes from when I was a smaller, skinnier, bright-eyed little 19-year-old boy. Um, I just finished my first year at university, so that might sound familiar for some of you here. Um, and my dear friend Louisa asked me to go away with her and the young people from our church to a place in Romania. That's where we did our little missions trips. Um, towards the end of the trip, I can vividly remember sitting on some chairs on the top part of the house, feeling pretty insecure about what my role was and how I was doing on that trip. I remember um, my friend Andy, who is now my mentor, coming up the stairs, followed by a huge gaggle of 16 and 17-year-olds who were just full of excitement. They'd just finished doing a Bible study with him where he had walked them through a little bit of the Bible called the Road to Emmaus, and they were beaming. They were so excited at how he'd brought something to life for them. And I was sitting in my little chair thinking, I've just spent an hour with these 12-year-olds and barely got a word out of them. I felt so small. And then we went on our little church trip a few days later in a bus. And I remember a girl called Amber gave me a little piece of paper saying, Ben, um, I think God has given me this as a little word for you. Have a read and see what you think. And it was this little bit. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet one of them will fall to the ground. Yet not one of them, sorry, will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs on your head are numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. I was being used for a particular role that week. My role in the body was to be helping as a youth leader. I was being grown, though, and I've been nurtured for the next 16 years now in doing that, carrying on doing sporadic bits of volunteer youth work. 
hope that over that time, there's been many more people that have been able to run up some stairs excited by how I've been able to share the Bible with them than the number of people that sat there in silence. God was using me, and the message from God to me that week was loud and clear, that to him I was valuable and to him I was loved. If all these bits from the Bible don't challenge you to serve or encourage you to carry on with your serving, there's even some evidence that it's better for you. So I am a nerd, I'm a scientist, and I'm a doctor, and to me, I have to practice evidence-based medicine. That's what we're supposed to do these days. Toby sent me some evidence yesterday, um, and which was a study that looked at the impact of church, sport, and volunteering on our well-being. Um, I also do a bit of work in something called global health, and one of the terms that we use in that is quality adjusted life years qualies if you never hear of that again don't worry you don't need to remember it but it's a measure of our quality of life and this study that toby sent over told us that if we go to a church measurably our quality of life improves if we do sport our quality of life measurably improves and if we volunteer our quality of life measurably improves. It also says that if you do two of those things, it improves more. And if you do three of those things, it goes even more. You are all here on a Sunday evening, so you've already got one of those. I don't know if all of you need to play sport. You're welcome to. I love it, but it's not necessarily something you have to do. But the volunteering part of it today is about calling to service. And Toby is sharing us some evidence-based to say that volunteering actually improves your quality of life. Um, so to wrap up, we've been on a little wander through the New Testament. The passages challenge me to live a life of service and to do so with humility. The impact of that is that I'm likely to live a life that is distinct. I feel very lucky that I feel a clear calling on my life with the job that I do and that my role allows me to serve people by helping them to get better. I feel very fortunate as well that serving on the youth team is a joy rather than a burden. And the clarity that I have with both of these things might not be the same for you. I recognize that and we all recognize that the times when we don't feel like we've got a clear purpose on our life is hard. The things I want you to try and take to today and to try and hang on to are one thing from each of those passages. The first from Corinthians is just that every part of the body is needed and every part of the body is valued. That's number one. Number two, um, we are all called to take seats in the lowest places and to be humble in that. Third, that every part of your life is valuable and whatever the mission field is that you're placed in, that's where you're meant to be. And finally, is that you are worth more than many sparrows. I hope I've been able to leave you a little bit encouraged or challenged to identify and then to use your talents. I also help, hope I've left you encouraged or challenged to serve with humility. And if nothing else, I want you to know that you are made perfectly as a U-shaped part of the body of Christ. You have a purpose. You are valuable and you are loved. And living your life, your way, 
in a way that is distinctive to you is God's call on your life. So I'm going to finish this little bit with a prayer. Um, The way we're going to go for the next little while is um, uh, Toby and Eloise are going to come back up and we are going to make space and time for some ministry at the end. Um, But for now, for me to sign out, I'm going to pray. So Lord, we love you. Thank you for molding us just how you wanted. Thank you for equipping us to and calling us to serve. And thank you that you encourage us and you build us up as we do that. Amen.